um, and, and be faithful in the process, Lord. It's, it's uh, just a blessing to know you and a blessing to, to be in a spot where, where um, I get to share your word. But I, I pray, Lord, that I would be faithful um, just in everything that I do. Help me to be faithful in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we are working our way through Nehemiah. Um, we have reached chapter 6. Um, and it's a little like, uh, a little like the, the, I don't know, have any of y'all ever read The Lord of the Rings? Like that's that whole series. That last book, um, the story ends about midway through and there's another like 300 pages. Right? <laughs> and and I, I, I actually just quit reading it. I couldn't finish it because I was like, you know, I, I don't want to know what happens after the end. Um, Nehemiah 6 is the point where the wall gets done, and there are like six more chapters. Okay, so, um, but they're important chapters, there's stuff going on, but like we're going to cover the end of the wall at this point. Um, and, and so, heads up, like the nature of the sermons from this point forward will, will change um, next week, uh, um, and then actually the week after, Jeremy is preaching, and he's not preaching on Nehemiah, so that'll be the week to be here. Um, <laughs> Um, but as we dive into this, like I, uh, I, uh, I have a picture, put my picture up cause you're messing with my slides. I can't, um, this is, uh, this is me in the, in the backyard of the parsonage. Um, I took this on, I think Wednesday. Um, and I was, I was, uh, I, I take the kids to work with me. The kids kind of go everywhere I go. Uh, some of y'all who I've visited know that, um, you know, when, when the tiny tornado enters your front door, um, I, I visit. That's Abby. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm after her the whole time while I'm talking with y'all, right? You know, to put that down, Abby. Don't poke the cat with that. Don't, you know. And, but they go with me everywhere. And this was me. Um, midweek, I sat down to write out the sermon, to, to type my notes up. Um, and and I I had about three hours um, where it was me contending with one thing after another. Have any of y'all ever tried to get something done and had like just just nothing would let you work? Um, it, it started with the mosquitoes. I, they exist. I don't know. They're, you, you may not recognize them. They look a little like pterodactyls. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my, in my hammock and I'm, I'm trying to work and the mosquitoes start biting me. And so I have to get up, and i got to go inside and get mosquito spray. And then I hang up a little lantern that chases them off, and I sit down, and I start working again. And after I work a little while, um, the dog comes along and tips my table over and dumps my teapot. And so i got to, oh, gosh, stupid dog. You know, I, I uh, set the table up and make more tea, and I sit down. And then Abby wants to crawl in with me. And so then i got Abby. And this is my picture of the kids, because I finally hit a point where I was like, you know, i got to stop, and I'm going to play with the kids a little bit in the hammock. And, and, I, and I took this photo. Um, but one of my great plagues in life is distraction. Anybody else? First off, who's surprised by that? <laughs> I, <laughs> um, but the other, uh, um, you know, I, I, there are things to get done, and there are jobs to do, and there are things, you know, like it's all there, but um, there's always something, right? Um, when I was in grad school, I would go to the, I would go to the bookstore, and I would sit in the bookstore and work because they had a big glass wall that looked at the entrance of the mall. Nobody was bothering me because it's rude to bother the guy sitting in the work section. They had tables for work. Um, no, it's rude to bother the guy who's working, but I could stop and look at things and then get back to work whenever I needed to 
and, and that worked well for me, but it's still distraction, right? It's always there. Um, as we kind of proceed into Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at a collection of distractions that Nehemiah deals with in the road to accomplishing his, his task. And this is the very end and, and, um, of, of the work, not the book. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of just do a little background. Um, the story centers around Nehemiah, who's um, several hundred years before Jesus was born. He, uh, he was um, the right-hand man, like the cupbearer of the king. And the king lets him go home to his home city to rebuild the walls. Um, a city in the ancient world without walls uh, had a hard time because raiders could come in and bandits could steal. And actually, like even when you would have court... Like, like your day in court was done at the gates. Well, if there are no gates, what do you do? You'd have court somewhere else, and it was actually an embarrassment, and the people were sort of um, dejected and, and put out by it. They were a little like Cubs fans. You know, how oh, we lost. Oh, we lost. Oh, we lost. You know, and, and after a while, you know, you just get comfortable with losing. And that's, that's um, Nehemiah shows up and changes that by rebuilding the walls. Um, there are a collection of enemies that turn up along the way, and do their darndest to upset the work, to stop it. Because for Jerusalem to become a city of note and to become a city of like, like real presence in the area was a challenge to their authority and their rule, right? And they couldn't suddenly just raid the city and get stuff, which is, you know, I mean, they, they, they had been doing that previously. Um, and there's indications that they were, they were benefiting from it and that that some of the people in the community were benefiting from of it, from it, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but so, like all these enemies, the, the worst of which was a guy named Sanballat, who we'll we'll see some of today. Um, and and plots thus far, like some of the things they've done, they've spread rumors and they threatened to come in and kill everyone, and they've tried writing letters to the king, and they've tried all sorts of things, right? And nothing has worked so far, and they have made all this progress. And we pick up right as um, Nehemiah, oh, 6-1. Uh, Nehemiah is kind of nailing down the end of it, like it's right on the end. Um, if you have a Bible, or if there's a Bible in front of you, you can look at it on the pages, which is nice. They will be on the screen. Um, now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up doors in the gates. Now we're going to hit, just pause real quick. This collection, this list, basically covers every country around them. Um, Israel is a, a, uh, a country that's occupied by the Persians at this point. They're, they're only able to operate as the Persians let them, right? Um, and And... Everybody in the districts around them hated them, right? They've been fighting each other for literally like a millennium. I mean, they've been forever and ever and ever. These guys have been fighting, and now Jerusalem has no walls. And the neighbors, this list, it's everybody around them. They're surrounded by enemies. Um, they find out, oh, he's done. Um, we're going to see in a second it went very quickly. But the reason it went quickly is sort of touched on by the phrase, there is no breach left in it. What had happened was the wall was there. Um, the Babylonians came in 100-plus years previous and bulldozed the city, knocked down the walls, um, but they didn't knock them down entirely. They just broke holes in them enough to get in, right? And there are holes in the walls all the way around, although in some spots the wall was completely gone along with part of the town. Like they had the wall and, like, buildings built into the wall on a cliff, and, like, the wall and the buildings went, 
And so um, Nehemiah builds around that and, and everything else, but he's right up on the end. They heard the end is there. There are no breaches left in it, though the gates and the doors have not been set up. By the way, if you have a wall without a gate, what good is it? Not much, right? Um, so jump forward. Samballot and Geshem sent to me, um, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hikapaphorum. I did not practice that. And I pronounced it well anyway, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Um, anybody see the movie Braveheart? Um, the end of the movie Braveheart, um, there's a scene where, where uh, William Wallace, who's like defending the Scots, right, gets called into a meeting. And he shows up, and what happens? Everybody turns on him, and they arrest him, and he ends up getting killed, right? Um, that's what's happening here. Um, the neighbors have said, hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. Why don't you come on over? Why don't you come talk to us? Let's, let's sit down and have a meeting. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to draw him out. The plain of Ono, um, there's a little bit of question as to where it was exactly, but like the, the idea here is it's right on the border with one of the neighboring countries, but still in Israel. Now, it was an area that the Jews had conquered previously and that had fought against the Jews previously. And so all of the community members didn't like Jewish people. Got it? So if he goes there, he's going to be surrounded by folks who don't like him outside of the protection of his city, right? And he's basically going to get killed or arrested and then killed, most likely just, just assassinated, right? And he recognizes it. Right away, he looks and he says, you guys are just trying to draw me out. You're just trying to get me out there to kill me. I'm not, you know, do you think he goes, by the way? Anyone? <laughs> um, I, I met a guy, I didn't meet him, actually. When I, when I did Chicago um, Metropolitan Studies in college, I had to go and work downtown, and they had this Iowa farm kid who was in the city for his first day of Chicago Metropolitan Studies, and some fellow walked up to him and said, hey, I'm lost. Um, I see you have a map. Can you help me find my way? Oh, of course. Can you step into this alley a second and help me? Well, of course. Guess what happened? Oh, you got mugged. <laughs> um, because, you know, he went from where it was relatively safe to where it wasn't safe, and he didn't recognize the danger. Um, Nehemiah's not in that spot. I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Um, and they sent me four times in this way. They sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. So they ask and they say, hey, come on out. And Nehemiah's like, busy. Can't do it. Busy. Can't come talk to you. Busy. I got stuff to do. I'm busy. This isn't as important as what you're asking me for. I'm busy. Um, the way this is phrased, like if you look at ancient diplomatic letters, um, this is heck no, right? This is an emphatic, absolutely, there is no way. And they keep asking, what's the point of continuing to ask, you think? Well, it's the same thing with my daughter, right? Dad, can I watch cartoons? No. Dad, can I watch cartoons? No. Dad, can I watch cartoons? No. Why does she keep asking? Yeah, she can wear me down, right? And they're trying to pressure him into doing this. But Nehemiah is smarter than that. He knows, I go out there, I'm going to get killed. Um, there are things that will come along in life that are not good for you. Everybody understand that? 
There are things that will come along and tempt you and attempt to draw you into something that is not good for you, that will not turn out well. There's a great, um, one of the judges in the Old Testament was a fellow named Samson. Everybody's familiar with Samson because he's a little like Superman, right? Big and strong um, and, and tough and mighty and everything else. Samson spent most of his story away from home, right? He would see something that looked interesting and, you know, like a toddler on sugar would see something shiny, he'd run off, right? Squirrel, and he'd take off after it. And what happened with Samson is the more time he spends away from home, the more trouble he gets into, right? Um, There's a bit of wisdom to this. Uh, Most of us will not encounter folks who are looking to murder us. Is that fair? I mean, it's a pretty fair assumption, right? I mean, you know, I'm not going to pick out anyone. I was... (laughs) Thought about it for a couple days who I would pick on, but I'm not going to. Um, we, we, most of us will not find folks who are looking to kill us, but we do not live in the same time. Um, Paul tells us that our enemies are not the flesh and blood, right? Our enemies are the rulers and the powers of the air, right? Like evil and, and evil incarnate, like Satan, demons, the whole nine yards. But it's not even that we're fighting like them, like they tempt us. Hey, come on over here and have a look at what I got for you. Hey, come on over here and have a look at what I got for you. Hey, why don't you come over here? And they, like one thing after another, tries to draw us away from the work that we do. Now, what is the work we do? And I explain this real quick. And I've, you hear it a lot. I say it again and again because it's the most important thing that we do, right? We are people, the church, we are people who are saved by the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ has died for every one of us that follows him. He has taken punishment for my sins and for your sins. He has, like, literally, all of the the wrath God had toward the bad stuff I do was heaped on him. Um, As a follower of Jesus, I have a handful of jobs. My job is to pursue holiness in my life, right? Like, I'm supposed to try and be like Jesus. I'm trying to, like, do away with sin in my life, and I got plenty of it, right? Right? I mean, I'm probably not the only one here who's like that, am I? Um, So my job is to pursue holiness. This is my number one job, is to pursue holiness. Not to point it out in other folks, though sometimes that's a fun thing to do. It doesn't really generate holiness in me. Um, I seek it out and I root it out, and that's the way I live. And that's what all of us are called to do first. Our second job is to go to all nations making disciples, um, baptizing me in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Like our second job, first job is to become holy. Second job is to help the people around us grow up, to become more like Jesus. Um, That is a one-on-one job. Jesus demonstrates it for us, right? He has people that go with him, and he teaches them. Nehemiah is building a wall. That's a slightly different job. But he says, you know what? What I'm doing is more important than what you're trying to distract me into. There are mosquitoes that will turn up in our lives and will try to draw the blood off of us, pun intended. Um, We'll try to draw us away. What are those mosquitoes? Honestly, lust is a mosquito, ain't it? Um, I swear you can't, like, read a news article on the Internet without a picture of a half-dressed woman. Isn't it true? Anger. Rage and bitterness. This is a mosquito. This is, um, there are websites that are specifically dedicated to making you angry about a political issue. 
Did you know that happens? And you'll like say, so-and-so is doing this, and that's why they're the devil. And you'll read the story, and you'll be like, well, that's not really what happened, but I'm obviously supposed to get mad about this. Like, when we invest in bitterness and anger, when we focus on things that are not about becoming holy or making the people around us, like, closer to Jesus, like, we're allowing mosquitoes to draw the blood out of us, to draw us away from the pursuit of holiness. Um, I could go through and I could name a million things. It's all around you. Stuff that will draw you into sin, that will trip you up, that will get you confused and lost and get you going where you don't need to be. And by stepping away from home, um, chasing after things that are not, if we get lost, we become like Samson, right? Oh, I'm away from home. Nobody's holding me accountable. Nobody's reminding me of my job. Nobody's walking with me. I'm going to just go over here and be in trouble. Um, and so he answers them, hey, I got work to do. Hey, I got work to do. Hey, I got work to do. I would love to own a, a GTO, actually. I've been thinking about that for a little while. I would love to own a GTO. You guys know what that is? Terry had one because he's a luckier man than I am. Um, it is an old muscle car, and they are awesome. Um, and as much as I would love to buy one, there are things I could use money for that are better, right? I would love to watch movies all day. I got work to do. I would love to, you know, mosquitoes, leave me alone. I got work to do. Comfort, leave me alone. I got work to do. In the same way, Samballot, uh, in the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, this is important. If you come home and you pick up your mail and you discover that one of your letters is opened, is that a problem? Kind of. Why is it a problem? Somebody's reading your mail, <laughs> right? Somebody's opening and reading your mail before you get to it. Like if it comes out of the box, open, not okay. Um, why would Sanballat send an open letter? So everyone can read it, of course. And so the letter goes out, and it goes through every town on the way. I'm certain that on the way from, like, Sanballat's home to Jerusalem, it probably circled the country several times, right? Like my daughter getting a task done. Go clean up your room. And she's been in the bathroom, in the backyard, and the, you know, everywhere that ain't in her room. But this open letter he sends out, he has started some gossip. And in it was written, it is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem um, also says it. So Geshem is a guy, and he confirms it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. Um, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now let's come and let us take counsel together. So the letter is, hey, you know what? There's a rumor going around that we've started. Isn't it the truth? There's a rumor going around that we've started that you are going to make yourself king. And that when you make yourself king, you're going to rebel. And that it's coming. And everybody knows it. How about if we meet and talk about it? Well, I mean, that's pretty disingenuous. If he's spreading a rumor about it, why would he, actually, if it was even true, why would he want to sit down and, and meet, right? It's an attempt to draw him out. And here again is something we will encounter as we attempt to accomplish our work. Um, there will be folks who will come along and, and toss things in your path. 
things to make you angry, things to make you fearful, things to convince you that everybody in the world is going to look at you and think that you are a wicked person, right? It will be there. Um, In fact, I'm willing to bet that there's probably almost no one in this room who hasn't dealt with that. Fair enough? People are saying stuff about me. Um, Or even as Christians, there are things that people say about us as believers that are not true and that are nasty and that are derogatory and that are just horrible. Um, I got a friend who uh, from years and years ago is an atheist, and he, he says nasty things about Christians on his Facebook page over and over again. One day I said, hey, you know, I'm one of these people. Do you really think I'm like that? And then all of a sudden, like, he changed it and he started talking about other folks, you know, like, oh, well, it's just this group. Because, like, at the end of the day, I'm not like that. I'm not a nasty guy. I'm not angry. I'm not vicious. I'm not bitter. I don't steal things. I don't beat my kids for fun. I don't do that stuff. And anybody who knows me knows it's just not true. Um, Nehemiah's response is basically rooted in this idea. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hand. He responds, you know what, it's not true. And you know what, I'm not going to engage everybody in the world trying to tell them it's true. I'm going to be God's man, and folks are going to know it ain't true or they ain't, right? I got a feeling that the king, the Persian king, because it doesn't say that he sent a letter to the Persian king, Nehemiah assumes the Persian king isn't going to impugn him, right? Isn't going to believe it. He, well, you know, the guy knows me. He's not going to trust this. And he just gets back to work. Um, Nehemiah's character reflects him. The other half of that is he trusts God. Um, There are days I'm sure the world is going to fall apart because somebody has something nasty to say about me, right? And usually it doesn't. God takes care of me. He does. And that's good, right? Um, Our job is to do our job. Our job is to not get distracted from doing our job. Pursuing holiness and helping other folks become holy. Helping other folks grow in their spiritual life. Um, Do you guys sense a theme for the last few sermons, by the way? Um, Our job is to be like Jesus and to help other folks be like Jesus. Um, And then he says, well, you know what? I'm not going to quit doing the work. And then he turns around and he prays. He says, God, help me do this. Help me ignore it. Help me get it done, right? He ignores things that don't matter, and he gets back to work. Mind you, in the previous chapter, we see where Nehemiah sees a real problem. He stops work and deals with it and then gets back to work. There are things that are important that we do need to focus on. Got it? Um, My picture that I started out with is an example. My family is important. Um, I read about a a minister, and I cannot remember his name at the moment, um, but he's one of the most prominent, like, writers of the last century. And uh, he lived his whole life. He wrote hundreds of books that are like, I mean, I, I went through one recently, and I could barely get through a page without writing a page of notes, right? was powerful stuff. Um, when he died, his wife remarried, and his kids were raised by another man, right? And she wrote later, you know what? As much as I love my husband and the work he did, he did that work at our expense, and he spent no time with me, and he spent no time with our kids. My current husband is a godly man, does not write books, doesn't change the world, but he's teaching my kids how to be like Jesus, There's a man who's doing what is in front of him. Like, we have jobs, 
but we have things that are important. And the things that are important, like God puts in our trust, our kids, our families, our, our everything. Like we need to raise families that are like Jesus, um, that pursue holiness, that hunger for him. That is our number one priority. Like it's a subset of the other one. So just an aside, I know we're rabbit trail, it's shocking. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabal, um, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Um, so we have a different section. Nehemiah's called to the home of a prophet. There are a whole lot of prophets in this community, apparently, right? Um, there's a couple of other hints at that. Um, but a lot of these prophets don't seem to really reflect God's deal. I'm going to pause and point out there are people in our world who are preaching God's word, but they aren't preaching God's word. Fair enough? They are telling you how to get rich or how to make your family, like, happy um, by using the Bible as a self-help guide. You know, or any manner of other things. There are folks who claim to be prophets that say all kinds of crazy stuff, um, but very little of it is about the gospel. Um, This is the situation here. This fella... Um, is confined to his home. This is weird. He probably wasn't under house arrest. Um, most scholars think that what happened was he had said, I have to stay in my house as a, as a sign. This is a sign. Come here, Nehemiah. Just like I'm locked up in my house, you need to go lock yourself up in God's house. You, you need to go there now, and I'll come too. But you need to lock yourself up because there are enemies coming to kill you. Um, now watch this. Nehemiah responds, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So he first off responds, take off. I ain't doing that. Why is he not doing it? Well, first off, he recognizes that running away from danger is not what he needs to be doing. Right? He's trusted God up until this point. He hasn't run away. Why would he start now? Plus, if he runs away, he basically humiliates himself. You know, then everybody who's trying to get the work done will turn around and say, oh, that Nehemiah fella, he's afraid of nothing, right? He's hiding. The next thing he says is, if I go into the temple, how am I going to live through it? This is a little more difficult. For whatever reason, Nehemiah believed he could not go into the temple. Got it? Um, This has led many people to like conjecture, to guess, Nehemiah was a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, ask Larry after church. Um, But a eunuch would not have been allowed into the temple. It was against the law, and it was a death penalty offense. And so this prophet says, hey, let's go over there. And Nehemiah backs up, looks at his standards, looks at what's expected of him, and says, first off, I'm not going to sin. Secondly, I'm not going to run away. Um, the guideline for him in deciding which mosquitoes, which distractions are worth dealing with is holiness and character, right? I hate the phrase, but everybody knows it. What would, what would Jesus do, right? Um, at the end of the day, he backs up and he says, what does a godly man do in this situation? Um, and he acts accordingly. He looks at his distractions and asks, What's a godly man supposed to do now? Well, I ain't going there. I'm not doing what you ask. And then later on he figures out, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had 
pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they would come and give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And so, like, he backs up. His first response is holiness, character. His second response is, wait a minute. That was a trap. (laughs) Right? May have taken days to figure this out. But he figures it out. It was a trap. But the guideline that protected him, that made him decide, I will not act on this, was holiness and character. Um, There's an important bit there, right? When we face things that desire to scare us, that desire to draw us away, that desire to trip us up, that desire to, like, get us chasing after something new, our first question needs to be, is this Christ-like? And is this in keeping with, like, like God's law? Am I going to sin by doing this? Um, honestly, I don't think you can go wrong doing that. Um, remember Tobiah and Samballot, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And so he turns around and he says, you know what, you tried to trick me. Does he have the guy killed? Nope. Does he drag him out into the street and kick him out of the city? Nope. He prays. He says, God, remember these guys and deal with them. Because who fights for Nehemiah? God does. And Nehemiah goes back to work instead of allowing himself to be distracted by fighting with the, with the mosquitoes, basically, right? Because it's all these guys are. They're mosquitoes. They can't hurt him. Um, they're just annoying. Or gnats, actually. It's probably anybody. There are gnats everywhere. That's a better example. Um, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. Um, This is such a short period of time that some scholars have suggested that it's just not true, right? Like, but he was basically filling in gaps. He did this in just a phenomenally short period of time um, because he remained, like, focused, and he used the folks around him, and they got the work done. Um, He was single-minded in accomplishing his task. Um, When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they had perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, mind you, watch this. Um, There will be folks forever who will trip you up, who will attempt to attack the church, who will knock down believers, who will like take away from the message of the gospel that Jesus died for us. They'll say, oh, that's not true, or oh, Invisible man in the sky, or oh, this, oh, that, you know, and they'll, they'll try to point in a different direction. At the end of the day, change lives, right? Um, us becoming like Jesus, us making other folks be like Jesus is the best way to shut folks up, right? Nehemiah gets his job done. They look and they say, oh, man, God must have really done something there. Um, the best way for you to like, like, the best way for you to respond to detractors, to enemies, to the mosquitoes that desire to drag your attention away and pull you into sin is to get it done and allow like God's accomplishment through you to speak for itself. Um, my one buddy doesn't say nasty things about Christians as quickly anymore because I'm, I'm a better person than that. Why would he say nasty things about me, right? God's character showing through is what shows up. It's what changes the world. Um, 
And so these folks recognize, oh, my gosh, God is on their side. They start feeling bad about themselves. They recognize that, like, they could not beat God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and the son of Jehoahan, Nan, bad with Hebrew, um, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barachim, as his wife. Um, so what happens is they get done, the neighbors start freaking out, and they start sending letters to the nobles because the nobles are bound to them by oath. Like there's a little hint here, and Nehemiah never spells it out, but he basically tells us the people who were powerful and rich had made deals with the bad guys to keep themselves safe. Got it? <laughs> and those bad guys started writing letters and saying, hey, you know what, we got to reestablish diplomatic relations here. Can you start, you know, helping us out? Um, Nehemiah doesn't knock down the people who are bound by oath to these guys. He doesn't attack them. In fact, actually, the only time we see him attack them is when they're oppressing God's people, right? He used them to get his work done. Now that the work is done, these guys come out of the woodwork trying to pull all this stuff together and make it happen. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Um, So basically, these guys come and they're like, hey, you know what, that Tobiah guy, he's pretty awesome. Have we told you about how nice he is? Have we told you about how, like, helpful he would be as an ally? Have we told you about... Have we told you about, have we told you about, um, this will happen sometimes. You will find, um, as Nehemiah does, that those that are out there that, that, you know, literally are not in harmony with what we are doing as believers, what our job is, folks will sing their praises to try to get us on board. I think this happens in politics a lot. I'm going to be really careful what I say here. But, but folks who don't necessarily stand, like, let's do God's work in the world. Like they they wear a Christian T-shirt to try and get it. When I was in high school, I volunteered for a senatorial campaign. And uh, the guy was campaigning on this big Christian thing. And I remember sitting down after working one day with a bunch of other folks. And the guy sat there and told stories about how much money he had getting drunk in college. And how it was the best time of his life. and And I thought, man, you're my Christian candidate? Not that I was trying to judge him. I was a pretty big jerk back then, though. Um, The point being, um, just because folks... Say, oh, I'm on your side. Doesn't mean that we quit our work. Doesn't mean that we incorporate what they're trying to accomplish into our work. We do what's in front of us, right? We pursue holiness. We make disciples. We do these things as our primary objective. We don't chase after stuff. We don't, you know, don't get distracted. Don't sign on with something that's going to get us in trouble. We do our work. Everybody with me? Um, I didn't. I'm sorry, I try to avoid bringing up politics, but that's the thing that keeps jumping into my head. You know, oh, I'm a Christian just like you. Oh, I'm a nice guy just like you. We also see this um, with philosophies and ways of thinking about the world, where people will take things and they'll say, oh, this is just as Christian as what we're doing. And in fact, it's just not, right? Um, Hedonism would be an example of that. The pursuit of fun and joy for the sake of, like, living, like the whole point in life is to, like, enjoy it. Um, that's guys like, and I don't actually have a problem with knocking on Joel Osteen, right? Here's a guy who tells you, um, what his wife said once, just recently, got in a lot of trouble for it. She said, when we worship God, we worship God because it makes us happy. God wants us to worship him for our own sake. 
what? (laughs) But the point of that is, oh, everything that makes you happy is what's good. That's not really in harmony with who we are. And we don't chase after that nonsense. We chase after being like Jesus and helping other folks be like Jesus. It's so easy to get distracted, especially when folks say, hey, we're all friends here. Okay. But I'm going to keep doing what I need to do. I think that was actually my last verse. My challenge for you today, my encouragement, um, is this. Um, Are you focused on what God has got you doing? Are you focused on the work at hand? Are you focused on the job? Um, Or are there mosquitoes buzzing around you trying to drag you away? Are there gnats pulling your attention away so you don't get the stuff that matters done? Um, And there are all sorts of things. Um, The question is, are you accomplishing God's job for you? Are you growing in holiness? Are you walking close to Jesus? Is this a central pursuit of your life, or are the distractions there? Um, If you identify, if you see these are things in your life, if you see these distractions and you find yourself chasing after them, what do you need to do to fix it? What do you need to do to retain a singular focus on God's work? Um, on God's job for you. Because honestly, um, your own holiness, like, is huge. Helping other folks grow in holiness is also huge. Like, if we have a job, we need to do it. Um, We're going to close in prayer. And my last bit of encouragement and challenge for you is, one of the big goals we're going to have for the next few years is the idea of discipleship. Pairing up individuals with other individuals to grow together spiritually. Got it? This is, there is nothing we could do that would be more effective. I mean, I guess praying is a huge part of it, and you should be praying. Um, And Nehemiah prays, but like, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Um, If you need to grow spiritually, talk to me, and I'll connect you with someone who will. Um, If you feel like you've got stuff to share to help other folks grow spiritually, come talk to me, and we'll figure out how to make that happen, right? Um, Do not be distracted. God has given us a job. The world is not coming apart. The sky is not falling. No one's going to come kill us. We have a job to do. Even if folks are going to come kill us, we still have a job to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would help us to stay focused on the job at hand. Help us to grow in our, in our walk with you and deepen our, our faith. Help us to, to um, just, just tear out sin from our lives that that we would grow in holiness, Lord. Help us to be mature leaders in our families. Help us to be mature followers of you. Help us to serve the world around us by, by doing what you've got for us, Lord. And I pray that you would be with the folks here who just have gifts. Help them to find folks who, who uh, they can share them with. And folks who need to grow, help them connect with folks that need to grow. Um, Lord God, our, our job, our commission is straightforward. And I pray that you would just, just give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and we'll close with a blessing. One of the first bits at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, is about salt and light, right? If a salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If, if you put a light like a city on a hill, it can't be hidden. Um, my challenge for you this week and my blessing for you this week is um, may the God who created you, may the God who has given you forgiveness and new life in Jesus. May that God help you to be 
salt and light in this world. Um, may he help you see the places that you're distracted and your saltiness is drifting away. And may he recognize, or may he help you recognize, like when you're standing in front of his light because you want to do what you want to do. Um, may you change this world by being salt and light. Amen.